Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. Got a question to start off uh, this conversation we're going to have today. How do you see the Father? How you answer that question determines your willingness to interact with Him. Some of the questions is, does He care? Does He pursue? Does He forgive? Does He want me? And I don't want you to necessarily answer that because some of us in here are theologically minded and we've read lots of things and intellectually we understand the truths that come behind those, the answers that come behind that. But um, knowing something and believing that changes the way you live is completely different. So I want you to think through that, through the lens of what you're actually Walking out, and here's here's the beauty of the gospels, which we're going to be in uh, Matthew 18 today. The gospels were the Father's way of teaching us these truths about Him. Religious people of Jesus' day missed it over and over again. They missed the reality of who Jesus was. They missed what He was trying to communicate to them about Him. And there's a strong possibility that we're if we're not careful. Um, we'll do the same. Today I want to talk through 14 verses in, well, the first 14 verses of Matthew 18 and ask ourselves what the Father wants to say about these things. Let's pray. Lord, the only thing that matters right now is your truth. And Lord, there's a high possibility that we've walked into this room with lies um, being our understanding of who you are. So, Lord, we just pray for clarity. Lord, I pray that regardless of how we feel about ourselves right now or how we feel about you, Lord, I pray that your word would speak truth that would go past those things, that would go deeper than that surface point of just declaring things about you. But, Lord, that you would challenge our view of you completely. Um, Lord, you are a pursuing God. The Gospels, the New Testament, is a testimony to that reality. And so, Lord, open our eyes and soften our hearts today so that we would hear you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we're back out of the series that we just finished um, on Joshua. We're back to what I call Living Jesus is Greater. And basically, when I'm not doing a series that's around a certain topic or around a certain book of the Bible, um, I preach out of something that you've read in the one-year Bible during that week. Uh, you may go, what is a one-year Bible? I'm glad you asked. Um, a one-year Bible is basically a Bible that's been split up into uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and you open up to today's date, the 4th of February, and you would have an Old Testament uh, in a, a uh, Exodus today, you would read a piece of Matthew today, you would read a Psalm and Proverb, and if you read every day, you would read the entire Bible in a year. Our free gift to you is one of those. Uh, so if you would like one of those to have at your house, 
um, that you can read when you want to. Grab one of those on the way out. And if they run out on the table, we have uh, another case and a half in the closet. So if you see it empty, just ask somebody around the table, and they'd be happy to get you one. Um, I will say, um, the, the Bible is not a magic bean. It's not a, a magic potion. It's not uh, anything other than a um, full explanation of what God thinks and feels about us. Open it up won't necessarily change you. Part of what this is, and, and one of the reasons why I, I like doing this type of thing is because sometimes we will read every day and we'll consume and we'll get to the end of, and I've done it. I've gotten to the end of my reading um, kind of this morning, Sunday mornings. Um, I, I read my one-year Bible yeah, sitting on my couch and my dog sitting beside me, and it's real easy to like just kind of, you know, whoa, what did I just read? And that was, I had one of those mornings this morning. And so the idea is that we read not just to read so we can come to church and say, guess what, guys? I'm in the Bible club. I have read, and, you know, I'm now amazing. The idea is the reading so God can speak to our heart. And one of the reasons why I like to do this is because you're going to read potentially something that I've, I'm going to preach on on Sunday, and you may go, man, I had similar thoughts about that. Because as we read the Gospels, as we read the Old Testament, as we read the Psalms and Proverbs, we should be seeing things that God wants to speak to us specifically. <clears throat> See, this section of Scripture was um, spoken directly to the disciples. So there's another very similar story. We're going to talk about the lost sheep. I'm going to get there. It's actually just three verses at the end of 14. I'm going to lead us to there. There's another very similar um, story in Luke, Luke 15, that talks about the same, but it's two different audiences. And, and that matters because um, the points are going to be a little different and the conclusion is going to be a little different. Um, this chapter in uh, Matthew 18 was spoken to his disciples. And so that changes the, the, the what he's talking about, where the other one was talking to the Pharisees. And he was talking about lost sheep. Um, lost people, I, I believe today's text is going to talk primarily about um, his children that wander off, that are, that are wayward. And I think this will change the way we view God, because if you're one of the wanderers, a lot of times our view of God isn't too nice. Or if we, if we had a great view of God and we were wandering, we would want to go back. And sometimes our view of him kind of keeps us from that. And so I'm going to jump right in um, Chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love how the disciples, um, a little bit later from this point, even when Jesus is going to kind of talk to them about this, a little bit later, one of their moms is going to come to Jesus and be like, Hey, Jesus, i got two boys. You know who they are. I want them to sit on the right hand and the left hand of you. And, um, you know, the other disciples don't like this when they hear about it. It's kind of like, hey, can we be your favorites? It's like if you had 12 kids and two of them came to you and be like, tell the others that we're the favorites. <laughs> like most of the time, we're looking at the world the wrong way. See, the disciples... In, in, and understand here, even to the end, the disciples were still looking, like most Jews, even today, they were looking for a, a Messiah king that was going to take an earthly reign, was going to get rid of Rome, 
And they were thinking, this is why the mom was asking this. If she knew what she was asking, she probably wouldn't ask it because they did get that. But they thought that Jesus was going to become the king, the new David, and, and she wanted his, her boys to be high up in his order. Timothy Keller has this way of saying it. He was a pastor. He just passed away last year. Um, he called it the upside-down kingdom. Most of what you read throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, is upside-down of what we think about. So, if, you know, the, the least shall be greatest. That's not what we think about in our world. We're thinking, no, the greatest will be greatest. You know, we're, we're, we think about it completely. Oh, you know, the, you know, the, the poor in spirit. No, we think the, the, only the ones that are rich in spirit are going to be able to see God. See, Jesus took advantage of every one of these little moments. So they're asking a question, and Jesus is going to teach them and us through this, this moment. And how, how he normally does it, uh, a lot of times it's parables. And if you've been reading through Matthew, you've, you, you've seen him talking parables, and you've seen the disciples you know, sit in agreement, and like, hey, we got this, and then they go with Jesus later, and they're like, what were you talking about? They were as confused as everyone else. And, and you'll hear this comment, and maybe you've went as far to go, what, what does this mean? Because he's like, I preach or I talk to people in parables. Because, you know, if, if they had ears... And it's very, very confusing. If they had ears, then they would hear and they would turn and repent. And it was like partly because they were missing the point that the Jews, the, the religious Jews of the day, were looking for someone that Jesus didn't fit. It was completely upside down to what their expectation was. See, a parable literally means to set beside. So, and I, I, I was listening to some, uh, an audio book yesterday um, called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and they were talking about um, why wasn't Jesus more plain about him telling people who he was? Which he was pretty plain in lots of areas. But one of the reasons um, that this book was talking about that he didn't, because if he was outright, they tried to stone him for saying things that were acknowledging who he actually was. But if he was even plainer, they would have killed him. You know, they, he wouldn't have been able to get away with what was going on. So Jesus, a lot of time, he wanted to teach a hard truth, but he would set that hard truth in a parable beside the truth. And, and Jews of the day in their culture, they were, a, they were taught in pictures. They were taught in this form where we want stats um, and definitions. We want, just tell us what it is. And so of that day, they, he would paint a picture because he was trying to get to something bigger. See, Jesus was after their hearts, not just their behavior. Because we can hide our heart issues with good behavior. And I think this is part of the issue with church. And I did youth ministry for 10 years before we moved here to plant this church. And a lot of times I felt like part of my career in youth ministry was behavior modification. Like I was trying to get kids to behave because that's what parents want. I, I want it. I want my kids to behave. But I realized pretty early on, a couple of years in, that regardless of how good their behavior is, if you don't change the heart, nothing changes. Because what will happen is while they're in the presence of someone else, that, like an authority or a person they admire or whatever, they'll, they'll change, they'll be that. But the moment they leave that environment, if you haven't gotten the heart, then they'll do whatever their heart was wanting to do to begin with. And, and this is what we're trying to do here. 
This is why we're, we're talking about the Word, because like, I want God to engage your heart, not just go, ooh, I need to stop doing and fill in the blank. Like, oh, I've got to stop watching those types of movies or listening to the type of music or getting on this type of social media or whatever. Like, you can stop doing those things, and it would probably be beneficial to you, but if you don't let God engage you in an internal way, then you'll miss everything that He wants. Verse 2. Jesus didn't like smack. I, I love, like, because I feel like I fail as a parent reading Jesus. Because I'd have been like, if my kid's like, who's the greatest? Not you, get out of my room. I mean, like, I don't think I would have been as nice. Uh, but Jesus, he didn't, he didn't, you know, ridicule them. I mean, you know, like, you big fat dummies, like, you don't get anything that I'm trying to do here. He just goes right into this picture. And so he calls to him a child, which is funny because a chapter after this, um, people are trying to bring children to Jesus for him to pray over them. And his disciples are like, no, no, get the, you know, leave Jesus. He's too important for this. And he's like, let the children come to me, even though he's saying this here. He, <clears throat> he put him in the midst of them. So like literally this visual. His disciples are sitting around, and they just said, hey, who's the greatest? And he pulls this child in. He doesn't even deal with that specifically. He's going to in this, but not directly. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus went from who's the greatest in the kingdom to just getting in. So they're like, who's, who's the greatest? And he's like, we've got to deal with who's going to get in to the kingdom because if you're thinking who's the greatest you're probably going to miss the entry you're going to miss the door because you're trying to have something that he's not interested in he's not interested in your glory he's not interested in you being lifted high he's interested in him be lifted high that's how far off they were from the kingdom thinking see a child is humble and i know some of like i'm going to make general <laughs> general allergies of children you'll be like not my child okay let's just in general most children are humble most children little children don't walk into the room and go i'm the boss now they may you know they act like that but i'm just saying like they don't walk into a new environment and go i'm going to take over they're just like i get to play can i do this they're humble they aren't worried about who's the greatest see greatness comes only when we humble ourselves to trustingly responding to our king's every call. That's, that's the child. They're, they're looking to someone to do. I mean, children all the time, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. What do they do? They don't say, I'm the greatest. I'm going to figure it out. No, they just bring it to you. Open this for me. Get this for me. Do this for me. I feel like sometimes I've not done a great job because my children, older, are still doing that. Like my, my 21-year-old, um, she got a car uh, like a year and a half ago, and she's like, Dad, my, my car keeps telling me that my battery's dead in my fob. I'm like, okay. Like, come over to the house and I'll fix it. So I get on Google and I'm like, how do you replace the fob battery of this car? And I figured it out. And, but then she didn't come over and get it fixed, and then she calls me the other day and she was like, Dad, my fob's dead. I'm at Riceville Beach and I can't get in my car and and i was i was just like you know the bridge is down i don't want to drive to risel beach when the bridge isn't messed up 
And I'm like, okay, and I'm just like, Lord, I did tell my son a couple weeks ago that I want to say more, yes more, and he's like, remember, Dad? So they're listening. So I'm like, Lord, I want to say yeah, and I'm like, okay, like whatever you need, like I'll I'll come meet you. And um, it's a newer car, so it has an app, so you can literally unlock your car, lock it, or crank it up with your app. But she had lost the passcode to get into the app, and I'm just like, <laughs> and I was like, call, call them, and maybe they'll figure it out, and they did. And I have the same app, which I also didn't have the passcode. And um, so I got an alert a little bit later that, you know, your car has been unlocked. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. But kids, you know, they aren't thinking about that. They're, they're, they're going like, I just need help. And they're willing to interact with you. That's what he's saying. Hey, children, children here. And, and let me just say this because he's going to directly talk about children being, you know, children. But he's also talking about us, his children, infants. Uh, immature believers. He, he's talking about all of those things, and he's like, they're willing to come to me over and over again. They aren't looking to be in charge. They're looking for someone to take care of them. See, if you're sitting around worried about our own personal greatness, greatness, we miss the call and words of the greatness. How good of a listener are you to people that you view beneath you? Because part of what he's talking about is this kind of a pastoral um, call. And you're like, oh, good, then it doesn't apply to me because I'm not a pastor. Well, um, if you are a child of God, you, you are technically in the royal priesthood. So, uh, sorry. Uh, it is to us. But how willing and how good of a listener are we to people that we think are beneath us? And sometimes when we're talking to little children, our own kids, we'll be like, oh, I don't want to listen to you anymore. You're thinking about your own things. I mean, think about other people you interact with on, on, on social scales. When you go into places, you're like, oh, this is a, I'm not even going to throw things out there because you may be one of those people and I, I don't want to offend you. But you go to a place and you're like, I'm not really listening to you because you're not blah, blah, blah. Like Jesus, like interacted with all those people with love and care. He changed the way he interacted with people not because of their standing literally he pro he was way more disrespectful and i say that lightly to the religious people the ones that everybody else is like oh you're great and he was oh, so much more loving and caring for those that were broken and lost verse four whoever humbles himself like a child like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to be, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Talk about a word picture. Millstone, which we don't, you're not thinking of millstone. Millstone, if you imagine, it's a, it's a huge piece of rock that they've used to grind out the grain it's not something you can swim with you're not like i got this it's oh. and so he's talking about how we interact with people because we got to be very careful that we don't get this wrong because the cost of getting this wrong is a huge deal see little ones could be children they could also be immature believers sadly this includes more people than we think maybe even us 
And at times, I am that person. At times, even though I have July of this year will be 30 years of saying yes to Jesus. (laughs) And I don't say that with pride because I say that with like, I should be better. (laughs) I mean, 30-year-olds, you're like, you should have this figured out. And we need to be very cautious because what we're unwilling to deal with in our own life, which we're going to talk about here, will cause other people to struggle other people to sin which is which he just said very clearly is very dangerous for us to ignore verse 7 it says woe to the world for temptation woe to the world for temptations to sin for it is necessary that temptations come but woe to the one by whom the temptations come if your hand or foot causes you to sin cut it off and he is serious Cut it off and throw it away, for it is better to enter life crippled or lame than have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. And I've I've talked about this before, just in case you've never heard that before. You're like, man, I've never... (laughs) Like... Jesus isn't, ta- I mean, because he wasn't talking to a group of people that were missing limbs. And it, as we see the, the gospel carried out, they weren't dealing with maimed people that maimed themselves because of sin later on through Acts and the epistles where the church is starting. What he's saying is do the extreme to eliminate this from your life. Do the extreme. To, to some people, that may mean not having internet access on your phone. To some people, that means limiting that at your house. To some people, that means never ordering a drink, never having alcohol in your house. It, it is the extreme of it. If there's this thing that you know that's causing you this issue, why still have it around? Why keep this thing that's going to cause you trouble? See, stop playing around with sin. What we're unwilling to deal with in our own lives will cause others to stumble. And, and that's, for, for those that are parents, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. See, this is why this is serious. We need to make sure that we're dealing with what's going on in us because our children will suffer the consequences of our inability to function as we should. I see it in my own kids. What frustrates me most about my children typically is the sin nature that they got from me. I just hate that. You don't know how many times the Holy Spirit's been like, you don't hate it enough to deal with it in your own life. I'm like, yes, Lord. Do whatever it takes. This uh, John Owens, he was a, a Puritan. He had this quote that says, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Whatever whatever is going on in your life that you think you have under control, um, you don't. You don't, and and we cannot. We talk about this all the time. It is not within our wheelhouse or our power to free ourselves from things. It's it's how we lean into the Lord, and we let him help us. Because if we had the capacity to free ourselves from this thing that we don't want, we would be free from it already. 
Here we go. Verse 10, getting to the the parable that I wanted to talk about. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And this is a deep rabbit hole that I don't have an answer for you. Uh, I've read several articles about this specifically. Does that mean everybody has a guardian angel? This is where some people get that from. Um, The idea here is that God loves his children so much that he has angels interacting with us. And they have access to the Father. They have access to the Father than to interact with us. See, he cares enough to have his angels watching over his children. So back to the question, does he care? Does he pursue? Does he forgive? And does he want me? See, this section of Scripture was directed at the disciples, like I said before. A similar one in Acts 15 was directed towards the Pharisees and had a little bit different conclusion, same so here's here we go in verse 12 so what do you think so he's, he's he's led all of this talking about how much he cares about his children and then he goes to this story so what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray despite having 99 other sheep sheep Despite the sinful rebellion of the lost sheep, God joyfully goes after it and receives it back just as he did or does when we repent and return to him. This was a, and God is wealthy. I mean, most common people didn't have a hundred sheep. So this is someone, and it would be real easy to be like, it's just one. Like, this is, this is the mindset that God wants us to understand that even though you are the one, because some of us in this room right now are being like, I don't matter enough. I'm not worth enough. And, and you're putting, you're, you're declaring your value, and because you declare your value, you think God doesn't, inter, doesn't, doesn't care because he's got 99 others. And he would, he would just stay with them. Why would he want to come after me? But that's not the story. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Verse 13, and if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. This is repeated over and over again with the the other in Luke 15 where it has the lost sheep story. It also has the lost coin story and also has the prodigal son story. There was three in a row of this idea of how far God the Father would go And how willing he is to celebrate when he has the return. See, it doesn't talk about punishment. And and I'm not negating the reality that our God has wrath that will be poured out because of sin. But we need to understand that when we, as his children, wander off, his pursuit of us isn't to destroy us. Because that's what we think. We're hiding. We don't, we, we're, we don't want him to show up. See, there was, no, there was no mention of punishment, but rather joy-filled celebration. Does he care? Does he pursue? Does he forgive? And does he want me? In this story, and this is why he communicated this, yes, 
Yes, he cared enough to leave all the others to find the one. And when he found the one, he didn't belittle it. He'd be like, you idiot, I'm always having to chase you. I mean, think about it back to the prodigal. When, when the son showed up, the son didn't come back to be a son again. The son came back to be a servant of the father to work for him. Because that life would be better than the servitude that he had in this other country. And so he was ready to humble himself. He was ready to tell the father all the sin that, that he had done. And the father had none of that. He ran right to him. He put on his cloak, which is the righteousness that we get put on us because of believing in the sacrifice of Jesus. We get seen as Jesus. So he pursues, he puts on the cloak, he puts on the ring, which is the identifier of who he is. Again, he puts on shoes, brings comfort back to him. He didn't get to him and be like, you're so dirty, I'm not putting my cloak on you, I'm not putting my feet, you know, we got to get you cleaned off. He was celebrating and he went right to a celebration. He killed the fattened calf. He was like, we're going to celebrate because he was gone. He was dead. And he's alive. That you need to hear. And maybe you don't need to hear it right now because you're thinking, oh man, I know God loves me and look where I'm at. But there will be points in your life if you choose to stay on this journey with Jesus, there will be points in your life that you will be wayward. And you need to understand what that waywardness means to God. He isn't like, I don't care. I want you to be, you know, like, oh, let's see. No. As soon as he knew he was missing. And I, I, I had a, a guy at our old church. He, he said this. And he had, he had had a rough life. And he was like, he said, you know the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? He said, the Holy you know, Spirit, you know, like, when, you, when you're good, like, he, he's good, but, like, when you, when you waver, he becomes the Holy Ghost. He haunts you. He comes after you. And not in a bad way, but, like, that's that pursuit. And I want you to know that regardless of how far you go, God is pursuing, and he won't necessarily just pick you up one day, which he may. But right now, even now, He's in pursuit of you. If you're sitting in this room and you feel like that wayward person, you hearing his words are his pursuit of you. Because for, for whatever reason, I had three topics that I saw in Matthew this week that I was potentially going to do. And I just could not get this lost sheep out of my head. And so I don't know if there's someone in this room that just feels, and maybe no one knows how lost you feel. How distant you feel, how far away from the 99 you feel, how far away from the shepherd you feel. And I just want to tell you that God's going to go out of his way and has already started going out of his way for you. And that's what he does. He celebrates over that one which the Pharisees don't like because they're the night, they're the good people like, oh, why would you bring them back in? And I want to say this to other people in this room. God has called us to be the good shepherd. And I don't know what that means for you. I don't, mean, I don't know if that means texting someone. I don't know if that means you know, showing love to someone that you're, you're frustrated with. But God's called us to be this, to look and say, hey, who needs the pursuit of God? And a lot of times, we become His hands and feet. We become the instruments of the Father. The Father is a pursuing God. 
have hope, wayward sons and daughters. He wants you back right now. And he is very persistent. He doesn't give up. Verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That's his heart. God's heart isn't to destroy. Every piece of God's ministry was to call people. He even said, I ain't come to come to judge the world. I came to save the world. This is the call that he's after. Back to the Father in heaven. The little ones matter. You matter. If you are hearing this right now, God wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you how much he loves you, how, how willing and interested he is to go to the ends of the earth bring you back. <clears throat> Here's a question for you. Are you willing to come out of your hiding place, allowing him to pick you up into his forgiving arms and return you to your proper place? That's the question. That's salvation. Are you willing to finally surrender and say, God, I, I cannot, I need you. And, and let me just tell you, in case you haven't heard this before, that isn't the thing that you do once when you say yes to Jesus. That's a daily thing. If you're not waking up in the morning and saying, God, I need you, I am desperate for you, you're going to be in trouble. I'm on day, I don't know, 40, 50. It's funny, I sat down on the couch, get ready for my reading, and I remember I haven't done my morning declarations. I haven't got on my face and say, God, what do you want from me today? And I just lay these things every day. I need, I, need to, I need him to hear out of my lips that I trust you today. And see, here's another question for you. What led you away? Be honest. What was the thing that, that drew you away from trusting the Father? And I, I just want to, one of the things when I was reading over this, There's, there's things, seeds of doubt, um, that we allow to be sowed into our lives every day if you consume the world's media. There, and it doesn't take much for, for, for one person to come on a little reel, to come on a little video and, 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 and throw a seed of doubt in there. And a lot of time, it's not even truth. <laughs> It'll be something about, oh, you know... Well, you know, man put the Bible together. There, there's just all these seeds that are coming out. What, what are those things that led you astray? What are those moments? What is, what is that sin that so easily entangles that you, you know for sure, like, I need this out of my life? And that probably means, if you still have it, that you need to invite somebody into that reality and say, I need help. I need help. Confess it. Confess it with the right view of the Father. Confess it with the reality that the God that we just read about through the story, the shepherd pursued, carried, loved, restored, returned. 
There's not a better way for us to conclude our service um, than to have communion together. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. We, we used to, pre-COVID, it's funny um, how things change. We used to do intention. We'd have tables up here, and we'd have bread that was just open. And then we have a little, and I miss this because it just seems much more family-oriented. And we had a little craft that you would, you would dip. So everybody would touch the bread. Everybody would dip it in there. If you were towards the end, you would have just stuff at the top. You're like, Lord, pray. <laughs> Whatever that is, that's just bread. That's all somebody else's bread. <clears throat> and, and so we're, we're, we're to these now, which I think are very much more sanitary. Um, not, as, not quite as good, but these are just a further picture of God's grace. This is just juice, and this is just a wafer. They're manufactured by some company that makes them, Fellowship One, I think, or Fellowship um, whatever, um, so that we could have these moments. But these are just symbols. This is just a reminder. And so one of the things that we do, and I encourage you um, to take your time. We have a full song at the end of this, and so... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it for just a second. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to go over there and, and just reflect. If there's things that are weighing on you, don't just pop this open and be like, okay, I'm going to consume. Like, lay those out before the Lord. Because this is His love letter to you. This is literally His blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. This was His body that was broken for you. So you take these elements, although they are just elements, they are a reminder that you couldn't save yourself. This is, this is the reminder that this, is, this, this isn't salvation. Don't hear me wrong, but this is the reminder of what salvation took for you. How costly it was for our God who put on flesh and blood and died a horrible death so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be restored, so you could be brought back into the fold. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He handed it out to his disciples and he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And it hadn't even happened yet. Then at the end of the meal, he passed the wine cup and he said, this is my blood that was shed for the forgiveness of men. This is, this is the new covenant. You want to be in the family? This is, this is what makes us all in this room who call on the name of the Lord as their Savior, brothers and sisters. This is what declares our resting place, our eternity together. And we need to celebrate it. <clears throat> but I say this, don't be the lost sheep unwilling for the rescue, unwilling for the Father's love, and just go through the motions. The worst thing that we can do in church is pretend and play with the grace of God. God, let us not pretend. Lord, let this moment as we partake in these elements be a reminder. Lord, I pray that as we consume them, Lord, you would fill us afresh. Lord, there's so much hurt and pain in this room because of things that we've inflicted on ourselves and things that other people have inflicted on us can't fix our brokenness. 
But Lord, you can restore our hearts. So Lord, I pray this morning as we we take these elements together, that you would wash over us, that we would feel just in that moment, just like the prodigal son, we would feel that robe being put on us, the ring being put on our fingers, the shoes being put on our feet, and the celebration of the rescue. Lord, thank you for almost 30 years of rescuing me out of just a religious spirit. Lord, thank you for your willingness to over and over again to bring me, not settling for me to just be part of what you want, but you, Lord, you want all of us. So, Lord, I pray that over us in this room. Lord, if there's pieces of us that we're holding back, Lord, would you rescue us from them? Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Would you be honored today? We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.